Hello, this is Daniel Mounter from An Englishman in Montreal. In my previous episode, I discussed the uh, beautiful phenomenon that's the secondhand bookstore, especially in the UK. And I also went into a bit of a rant about the lack of the same type of thing here in Canada, uh, which leads naturally to the bigger picture, which is the subject of this podcast and possibly the following one, and that is emigrating and immigrating and the challenges which uh, inevitably I had to face as an emigrant and then as an immigrant. So I'm starting this on the premise that everyone's pathway when they change countries, for whatever reason, it's inevitably very different. Mine was even further from the norm, even though I wasn't uh, anything in the sense a war refugee or a fugitive. Most of the unique challenges that I faced were due to making such a big raft of major life changes all at the same time or over the space of a year. In quite a lot of cases, I didn't even establish certain things in my short remaining time in the United Kingdom before I had to uproot and change them all over again. That could be seen as a positive or a negative thing. I want to make sure that I clarify before I launch into this podcast, it's not a comparison of the UK versus Canada. I don't find anything to be gained by specifically going into a long rant about how the two countries are different. I was well aware when I chose to move here that there would be certain trade-offs and uh, some advantages too. It's one of those decisions you have to make where the outcome could be negative in either choice, but you have to weigh up the possible risks and this is what I did. Broadly speaking, I don't regret my decision to immigrate here. There are two sub-subjects to this podcast, in fact. Um, being an emigrant and being an immigrant. Because I see them as two related but completely separate subjects. And they each come with a very different set of challenges. Um... Facing me as an immigrant, I'm sorry, as an emigrant, I should say. Some of my challenges were including things like uh, reducing my possessions, trying to prepare myself for eventualities that weren't really clear at the time, especially things that I might have to face later, like homesickness or things I might need later in life. Other challenges included having... Um, working to a deadline, seeing the timer count down to emigration day minus one, etc. Um, plus, of course, the emotional, the huge emotional challenges of saying goodbye, in some cases, to people with whom I'd only had friendship or relation, even my own brothers, for around two years of time before I actually emigrated. Um, there's also the concern of wrapping up everything in time. Then I intend to move on to the subject of immigration 
It'll be treated in the same podcast, but it's going to be uh, more or less as a separate uh, as a separate category. And the challenges with that came being plunged very quickly into another culture, um, a lot of bureaucracy which people don't have to face also if they remain in the country of birth, a lot of things taken for granted as a citizen by birth, which a new citizen here has to sort out. Um, certain things inevitably I downgraded, as moving country is almost always a sacrifice of some sort. Um, there are also a lot of practical differences and things to get used to here, different use of nouns. I had to build new life skills from scratch and also some of my expectations and hopes were not possible to realize at that point. Some of them are actually coming about now. And finally, I'm going to look very quickly at 10 years on from immigrating about the things I appreciate and the things that I learned as life lessons from the whole experience. So being an emigrant, I mentioned the reduction of possessions. Um, it's both a positive and negative thing. It's a good chance to have a big clear out of all the junk. In my case, the accumulation of almost 30 years of uh, stuff. I was not a hoarder by any standards, but I was also um, keen on buying the best of the best in certain things like tools. I had a full workshop, or rather a garage, full of tools, most of which were professional grade, that I purchased over the seven years working in my first full-time job. Um, had a lot of books, more than 300 books, which I'd collected over the years from second-hand bookstores, bought new, been loaned. That meant a huge pile of stuff to reduce. In a lot of cases, I managed to sell stuff before emigrating. Um, there were more things that were not so replaceable, which I had to dispose of too. Um, something that was quite traumatic was my regular trips to the local dump. I had to limit them to once a week because of the limitations on household waste that you could dispose. It was emotionally demanding loading up my little van with heaps of things such as model buildings I'd built for my garden railway. Things that weren't replaceable, but also it would be completely impractical to try and pack into anything except a 40-foot shipping container to bring to Montreal. Um, clothing wasn't such a worry, I hadn't accumulated much. I basically threw out almost everything that wasn't either summer or winter clothing, and I didn't have much summer clothing anyway. That wasn't a big issue. Um, as it neared the time to emigrate, I found it quite tough. It was kind of daunting living in a nearly empty three-bedroom detached house where everything was downsized. I'd either taken almost all my cooking stuff, was donated back to my parents, um, and I was reduced to eating off paper plates and out of plastic, drinking out of plastic cups mostly, 
just to keep uh, the washing down, but also because I didn't have any dishes left. So I was living more or less in a, what looked like a squat at the end. What I did enjoy was there was no dishes to do, no washing up, no huge amounts of grocery and long-term planning needed. I basically worked my way through my freezer and my store cupboard and ate almost everything. And then I just bought a very small amount. So it was a, it was a great experience of downsizing. And although it was strange living in this big empty house with so little of myself in it still, it was by and large a positive experience. One challenge I experienced was the, uh, the triage of all my things, the triage of all my possessions. Uh, like I said, I tried to divide into essentials and non-essentials first and then within both categories things that I could easily replace in Canada and things that I couldn't replace and this triage didn't happen in one session it was an ongoing process whenever I was free on a Sunday whenever I wasn't online or out walking or at work I'd have a like a secondary purge so my living room ended up with great piles of black rubbish bags full of stuff for the dump because I found that once I'd put it out of sight into the rubbish bags it was much easier to um, to just dump it. I would never be constantly second guessing or oh, uh, maybe I should try to cram that into one of my suitcases because incidentally everything I owned Everything I physically brought with me to Canada traveled with me in seven suitcases and a laptop bag. That was my limiting factor, how much excess baggage I actually purchased, which back then was uh, quite considerable. Another challenge was preparing for the unknown, especially preparing for things that might inevitably happen like homesickness or needing medical attention. So I talked to a few people who had actually made the move, either to Canada or elsewhere, especially um, a good friend in France, well from France I should say, who had moved to Canada some years previously. He warned me of what homesickness I might expect, some differences that might really drive that homesickness home and might make it more poignant. He also told me ways to avoid that, one of which was to record the uh, amazing dawn chorus of the birds, which we just do not experience in this country. I'm extremely glad that he suggested I do that and that also I bring recordings I'd already previously made. I still have those to fall back on and they transport me back to a happier place and time as well. So they're useful relaxation techniques. I did a lot of this planning by talking to many people who'd already moved or who were thinking of moving and I had the advantage of a large pool of people among my pen friends who had actually made this move at a certain point in their lives. As the clock ticked down towards the um, moving date, I could hardly call it a moving day because I didn't really uproot anything, pretty much left everything the lack of time started to tell a bit on my nerves um, 
I was starting to feel times are wasting that I was I was regretting all the people I potentially could have met up with one final time before I left um, how I could have reconnected with school friends some of whom I'd only been in touch with for the six months prior to being thrown out of the exclusive brethren uh, there were so many places in England and Wales Scotland I wanted to visit but didn't have the means or the time to do in the time before I left the UK as well. So this, uh, this counting down time, which I didn't have, left me with quite a large and perfectly feasible bucket list of places and people that I would have liked to visit. That means that any visit I plan to the UK now is going to be extremely crammed with experiences and potentially with meeting with lots of people. The final challenge really was the saying goodbye, which was really complicated by the fact that due to my expulsion from the exclusive brethren system, my parents were technically treating me as though I was dead to them. There were necessary legal things to tie up, plus I had to set my mind at rest that I might never see them alive again. In that sense, it was very difficult saying goodbye on my last visit there, especially when I was um, given the cold shoulder by my nephews and niece who, with whom I'd not had any contact in the last two years and who basically looked through me as though I didn't exist when we accidentally encountered each other outside my sister's house. So those were difficult times to say goodbye. I also had to say goodbye to my brothers, with whom I'd only just, two years prior, re-established contact in any significant way. There were so many experiences with them that I wanted to live. So it was a big juggling act, trying not to have too many regrets and to do as many farewell visits, conversations and experiences as I could before time ran out. As it was, uh, I failed miserably to meet everybody who wanted to meet with me or to say goodbye to me. And in some cases, it was a case of let's say hello and goodbye because there were people I'd never met in person before. This is what happens when you have a diverse community of ex-exclusive brethren members, all in touch online, but rarely in person in the same place. So we move on to the second stage, um, that's immigration, my actual entry into Canada. The, the whole events of the day merits another podcast, and I certainly intend to, um, to go into more detail in a further podcast on that one. Most of the difficulties I experienced were from being plunged really quickly into another culture, one where the language, the main language spoken was different, although I loved French and I'd studied it from high school days and even studied it privately on my own account, I still had a huge amount of catching up to do. I was favoured to be living with a bilingual family and to have this love of languages, which greatly helped me in the first few weeks, but it was still quite stressful and tiring being immersed in this culture where 
the main language was not my mother tongue. Fortunately for me, after less than two years, I was able to take advantage of a francization program, which was virtually paid for by the provincial government. And that was professional French language studies in up to three levels. In my case, lasted 22 weeks full time. It was exhausting, but it made me many good friends and taught me a great deal about the culture, which helped me to fit in a lot easier. Another thing that was a big challenge for me was the, um, the bureaucracy, which I, as a British-born native, was not used to. Um, as a resident or citizen born in a country, when you're in that country, you often take things, many things for granted. You are raised in the culture, and a lot of things are done for you. As an immigrant here, I had to sift through everything. I had to get everything converted, such as my driving license and my very limited wealth had to be converted. It wasn't easy to, uh, to make sure I checked all of the boxes and that I wasn't leaving something out, um, something crucial. As it would happen, I took out health insurance um, as travel insurance. And my emigration ticket here was, in fact, a return ticket which had a month stay here. But I was, uh, I was okay from a visa standpoint. As a sponsored immigrant, it was much easier. And I had very little stress and worry there. Another difficulty, or if you like a challenge for me, was the inevitable downgrade in some things for me. Um, I mentioned considerably my downsizing how I had to get rid of virtually my entire library, which could be a blessing, as a lot of it was mostly secondhand reader copies, as mentioned in my last podcast. But the downsizing was things like my driving license, where I went from somebody who could tow a trailer or a caravan, drive a considerably large minibus, to somebody who had just a very basic driving license. Um, also, I went from being a car-owning and car-using citizen to being a, just a permanent resident, mostly dependent entirely on public transit or walking. That was a large life change to have to absorb. There's all the practical differences, which uh, some people say might be big stumbling blocks, such as driving on a different side of the road. I honestly had less trouble with that in the times when I borrowed a car there than with simple road regulations which are taken for granted here, such as fines for so-called jaywalking, crossing the road at a place where it's not approved or uh, into moving traffic. seems to be almost a crime. And the notion of a stop sign, I really wasn't used to. I was much more used to the idea of a mini roundabout. And for several years, actually, I was complaining at how stupid the stop sign system was, especially as virtually nobody seemed to respect it here. So those practical differences, uh, apart from the names of products being different, are lots of nouns, such as uh, asking in a supermarket for mince or mincemeat, will just get you blank looks. And uh, you have to ask for ground beef. 
I never made some of the more serious faux pas, like um, asking in a general store for a, um, a rubber. And a lot of these faux pas I was saved from, actually, by doing my best to speak only in French, especially in stores where I knew the owners were francophone. The uh, second to last, but uh, not the least significant challenge I had relates more to my background growing up in the sheltered exclusive brethren system. Um, there were several life skills I had to learn. Although I'd had in England a bit of experience preparing a CV, deciding on a career, and job seeking, when I came here I had to learn it for an entirely different economy and job market. It wasn't easy. As a sponsored immigrant, I felt my responsibility was quite high still to establish a career. And I was extremely alarmed by how many jobs, even basic sales jobs, demanded a degree, which is why the main reason for me going into the nursing program at college level was to obtain a bachelor's degree in as little as five years total. At that time, my equivalencies weren't well established, and I was uh, told to take the full program, which, as may be explained in another podcast, it didn't work out for me. Um, a big disappointment for me when I moved here was that it was impossible to rebuild my possessions, as I was led to expect. Um, the books, I never had a significant desire to accumulate as many as I had back in the UK because at some points when I visited secondhand bookshops, I would buy just an excess of books, cartoon books, uh, National Geographic magazines, and those kind of things were all available here. But my tools, especially the hand tools, the ones which I'd used and um, become accustomed to, a lot of them were either not available here or were financially way out of my reach. So if I had a regret about something which has made life more difficult here, it was that I downgraded to consumer tools and power tools and was obliged to buy the Canadian Tire Specials or the Walmart Specials instead of enjoying professional grade tools which would last me a lifetime and enable me to almost make a career out of it. So the the lack of materializing of some of the promises that were made to me before I left the UK and on which I based my purges of my possessions um, has always been a bit of a sore point with me. But it hasn't discouraged me from trying to make do with a slightly lower grade of tool, for example. Especially as the actual supply has changed and a lot of imitations, which were previously absolutely terrible, are now pretty adequate. And a lot of consumers have access to products which most tradesmen are happy with too. So it's, uh, it's less of an issue than it could be. I also have a point to make about the immigration being difficult for me because it was a double culture shock. It has to be remembered that less than 
two years prior to emigrating, I had had to say goodbye to almost my entire lifetime of a certain culture, the exclusive brethren system. And for only around 12 months, I had to formulate for myself a non-exclusive brethren lifestyle, such as uh, having a TV and uh, various other things which uh, I previously had to avoid were now suddenly permitted. So there was a culture shock of moving to a, a more normal, a more permissive culture. And then not long after, I was uh, uprooted from that and had to incorporate myself in Canadian culture, which is not vastly different. It was from two predominantly Christian cultures. So it, it uh, didn't matter as much as it could have done for somebody, say, coming from a completely different continent. But it led me to question how much of the new me was a product of my exclusive brethren upbringing, how much was British, and how much I rediscovered since coming to Canada. So I want to touch briefly on the last subject, which was looking at 10 years on and how I feel now. Obviously, my initial impressions were mostly based on the excitement of a completely new life, a brand new lifestyle, a whole new continent to explore, and many, many things to learn. I've never tired of learning. I have this huge thirst for knowledge and learning from people, books, and any other media. What I think I've learned is that to appreciate the connections between people, to appreciate communication, and to try to exploit the, the ways to reconnect with people as well. It was shown to me in my last few weeks in the UK, for example, that I could still reconnect with people from high school and recall things that they might have forgotten or they could remind me of things that I'd forgotten, which made those experiences more pleasant to look back on. Um, as the years went by and I've gone through difficult patches, I've found ways to cope with the inevitable homesickness. Ways I've done that are meeting with other British expats or immigrants, I should really call them because there's no difference. And to have a good old uh, grumble about things because British people are quite good at grumbling about the weather and pretty much everything. And to reconnect with my culture has helped a lot. To reconnect with the British sense of humor and to discover things like uh, stores in this area which sell many things that I can't buy in other stores that I really yearned for, like um, bovril paste and certain of the sweets that I used to enjoy. Rather than making up a big online order, I can drop into these, uh, these idiosyncratic little stores and pick up small tastes of home, which apart from traveling back to the UK is not possible otherwise. Um, I think also looking back from 10 years down the line, what I've uh, achieved is an appreciation 
of the good points of both countries now. Yes, the weather here is difficult, but the seasons are very quiet, are very uh, clearly demarked. And it's a, a far more spacious country, although I live in the edge of a pretty large urban city, which I was not used to growing up in. Um, I appreciate now much more the beauty, the quiet beauty of the English countryside and the historic villages, including the one on which I used to live, Stamford, and all the many day trips I'd taken are still fresh in my memory. So I came to appreciate Britain as a beautiful historic place to visit, but I found that Canada is a much more comfortable home. And the big advantage of coming to this kind of conclusion is that I can share the positives about both countries with people from either place and from elsewhere. I can write a pretty good tourist guide about England, but I can also share with those back in my motherland exactly what it is that I've come to discover here that's also good. Um, if anything, uh, traveling back to the UK is now much more planned and organized and I feel uh, although it's a pressure, it's not a stressor to get as much as possible out of my visits, to enjoy the whole experience, not just to enjoy the things. So I think the whole experience of becoming an immigrant has really taught me to, to value many things in life that growing up in one country and never changing your roots would actually deny you. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. There's been some huge stresses along the route and some major life changes for me which are still ongoing. But by and large, uh, emigrating gives a completely new perspective on life. I can link on to this for my next episode. This one has run on a bit, but I didn't think there was enough specific material to justify another podcast. Um, so in my next cast, I'm going to touch on what the freedom of owning a bike or a car means to me today and what it's meant in my life, um, how it's become literally a vehicle for freedom and change in my life. I don't want to make it too anecdotal as it's a central theme in my life right now. It's something I can speak passionately about. So I hope to retain my audience for the next podcast. If any of you have comments on the length of this one and how easy the interest can be sustained throughout, please let me know. I'm always trying to incorporate more improvements into this blog. Even uh, one or two compliments is much appreciated. So I'll look forward to programming the next installment. In the meantime, have a wonderful weekend. This has been Daniel Mounter, the Englishman in Montreal.